All aboard! Yes, crisscrossing continents around the world, transporting goods massive distances and efficiently bringing us from place to place, trains have been an extremely valuable asset to society. But there is a darker side to the railroad that many of us just are not aware of. Every three hours, there's an accident at a rail crossing somewhere in North America alone. And on average, these accidents kill one person every day. With over 600,000 train crossings worldwide, another problem exists, and that is the time that they can add to a first responder's trip. One in 20 first responder trips are impacted by blocked rail crossings. And when the difference between saving a life or losing it comes down to just minutes, a five or more minute stop at a train crossing can be devastating. Hello, I am your host, Mike Lake. And today I will be speaking with Gareth Rempel to learn more about this hidden issue and find out how his company, Trainfo, is stopping it in its tracks. Innovation, resiliency, discovery. Join Mike Lake, president and CEO of Leading Cities, as we explore the technologies shaping the possibilities of our future with a preview of tomorrow. Hello and welcome, Gareth. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. And of course, I do want to welcome and, and thank all of our listeners and viewers as well for joining us yet again. Um, today, I'm excited to introduce you to Gareth Rempel, the CEO of Trainfo. This is a company that's using sensors to predict when rail crossings will be blocked and integrates this information into city systems. So, Gareth, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm, I'm excited to get into both the problem and the solution. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to, to become the CEO of Trainfo. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And thanks, Mike, for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I love talking about Trainfo and rail crossings. And so, uh, you know, my personal journey here, uh, it goes back to 2011. Um, I'd actually started a transportation engineering consulting company. Uh, and doing consulting work, uh, mostly for public agencies. And uh, during that time, I was approached by firefighters, you know, saying, hey, we got problems at rail crossings. Can you uh, go out and find a solution, see if there's anything out there? And uh, so I was a good consultant. I uh, went and did it, uh, but couldn't find anything. And uh, so that kind of uh, sparked uh, the, the, the need for this type of information and got me thinking more and got me thinking deeper about it. You know, on the side, I would do my own research and, you know, I really wanted to know what is this problem? How big is it? How many people is it affecting? Uh, and, you know, got to the point of saying, you know, this is bigger than, than my consulting company. Uh, I actually have to create a company here to address this problem. It's not a consulting problem. There needs to be a product, a solution. Uh, mm. And so that's how Trainfo came about and, and how I became a CEO. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things I love about uh, the Preview of, of Tomorrow podcast is that we, we talk about issues, many of which are very obvious to all of us, but many of which are things we, we just never think about. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, sure, I know what a, trail, a train crossing is, and uh, like everybody else, you see the those red lights start blinking, and you you want to race under them before <laughs> before you get stuck. But 
other than that, I'd never once thought about, for instance, you brought brought up, you know, firefighters. Um, but just the fact that so many um, first responders um, can be impacted by this in, in life or death situations. Um, so just that one issue alone, do you have, a, I mean, do you have a sense of how frequent that becomes a problem? Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You know, when I start talking about the statistics and the problem, it surprises a lot of people. It surprised me at first as well. Um, so, you know, certainly there's, you know, we talk to a lot of uh, first responders uh, across the, the country, and we found that about one in 30 trips uh, are impacted by trains, uh, and that this can cause two minutes or more delay for first responders, which is really critical in these life or death situations. Um, we also looked at other data sources. We found that one in two trips uh, in North America, actually vehicles cross railway tracks, not necessarily impacted by trains, but they're crossing railway tracks one in two trips. Uh, this is resulting uh, in a collision every three hours, and somebody is dying from these collisions every day at rail crossings. And that's just a shocking statistic that's being maintained, you know, by federal government and, and collision data, data sets. And it's just shocking how often this is happening. Um, and, you know, the list can go on. You know, we discovered a broader ecosystem at rail crossings, you know, impacting trucks, impacting uh, port uh, authorities, impacting navigation map companies like Waze and Google. How do they get this information into routing? Uh, and as we peer a little bit more into the future, um, it's starting to impact connected and automated vehicles uh, and how they interact at rail crossings. So the problem is, is much bigger than, you know, most people first realize, including myself. There's no doubt about it, and and I know that, you know, just just the uh, in my suburban community, um, we have the commuter rail, and uh, right, not too far from my house, so it's not an infrequent occurrence to be stuck waiting for that to pass, and that's only a few cars lengths long. I mean, some of these freight trains um, are are massive. Um, I mean, so. First of all, do you have a sense of, of how big they are? And, and I know that they're increasing. It seems every year they get bigger, longer. Yes, yeah. These trains, these freight trains, uh, they're easily a lot of them a mile long, two miles long. They are getting longer um, and uh, and also a little bit slower as well as the length increases and as they uh, you know have to move slower in urban areas. And so the problem is getting worse. Um, and you mentioned uh, before, you know, you had a really astute observation of people trying to race and beat the train. And, uh, you know, that's actually a fairly common occurrence. And, you know, again, looking at the statistics and, and the collision records, uh, we're finding about one in four accidents at rail crossings are because of people trying to beat the train. Mm. Uh, that's a huge number where they actually see the flashing lights, they see the bells, uh, and they, they, they often encounter the rail crossing regularly, like, like you mentioned. Uh, and they've been stuck at these crossings sometimes for 20 minutes or longer. And so when they see the lights flashing or even before that, they just want to race and get past the tracks to avoid that delay. Um, and what, what they really need is they need some information. How do they avoid that delay? Or how do they know that maybe this is just going to be a two-minute delay? That, you know, they don't have to race. They don't have to try to beat the train. They don't have to take a different route. Um, and so that's the type of information that uh, people are missing. Oh, it's such a good point. I mean, knowing that you're going to be stuck at a two-minute delay is is one thing. Knowing that it's going to be a two-mile-long train uh, moving slowly through a, a you know a residential area is an entirely different thing. And and there's a there's a huge risk, as you point out, of trying to beat it, especially when there's no reason to beat it. Um, so, 
That that brings us, I think, to a, a an important point, um, which is how many of these crossings exist because it is happening in in basically every community uh, everywhere, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Worldwide, there's uh, well over six hundred thousand rail crossings. Uh, when we zoom into North America, it's you know two hundred, two hundred twenty-five thousand uh, rail crossings. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, most communities have these these features. Um, you know, most of the the early urban developments were were around commerce uh, centers, which were in you know early days um, connected by railroads, and and so that's where communities were built up around uh, these rail crossings, and they exist today. And so it's it's pervasive in in nearly every community in in some way or another. So let's now talk about, I mean, we've got a sense now of just how big a problem this is. And, and it's now, now that would, I hear you talking about it, I wonder how any of us take it for granted or, or don't think about it, um, because it is right there in front of us. Um, but that having been said, let's focus a little bit more on Trainfo. Um, what exactly is it that you're doing? Uh, start there and, and then we'll talk about the impact. For sure, Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the just going back a bit to the problem and, and to segue into the solution, um, we do often people do take it for granted. There hasn't been great solutions at rail crossings. Uh, it's kind of been, you know, put in flashing lights, bells and gates like you were talking about and, and what many of us are familiar with. Uh, and then after that, the next step for cities is to construct underpasses, you know, 50 million dollar plus pieces of infrastructure. Uh, most cities can't afford it. Uh, even if they can, a lot of these issues are happening in dense urban areas where you just can't put an underpass and disrupt the community that way. And so, you know, when we looked at our solution and, uh, you know, and looking at the problem, we said this is actually isn't an infrastructure problem. This is an information problem. We thought if people could just understand when a train was coming, they could avoid it. They could avoid the collision risk, the delay, uh, all those types of things without putting all this expensive infrastructure in. Um, and uh, so that was kind of our light bulb moment. Uh, but the problem there, uh, you know, what do you need to give information like that to people? You need train data. And that was something that we very quickly realized was not available, uh, especially from the freight uh, railroads. Uh, public agencies may be a little bit different in their, their data sharing, but freight rail data, train data, just not available. So that's where our solution came in. Um, we said we have to get this data. Um, and, you know, long story short, we tested all sorts of technologies that you might think of, like video and radar and those types of things. Nothing could meet the performance specs we needed. Um, and importantly for cities, this system had to be installed off rail property. This had to be something that cities could control, not needing, um, you know, approvals to put in the sensor. So it had to be, you know, at a distance to get this data. Uh, and so we developed our own sensor, proprietary sensor, collect our data, met our accuracy and reliability uh, metrics, and now we, we could start doing something. So once we had this data, we said, okay, great, we know where trains are, um, we have all this great data, but now we got to do something with it. And that's where, you know, we started out simple uh, with some basic type of analytics, and we quickly realized that this needs something more advanced. This needs machine learning, this needs AI. And so that's the software we started developing so that we could predict when when trains, uh, when rail crossings would be blocked up to 30 minutes before a train would arrive. And so from there, you know, we have our data, it, it makes these predictions, and now we can send this data into roadside signs, we can send it into traffic management centers, emergency dispatch software, uh, even apps, 
And now all this information can be available to, uh, like I mentioned, city uh, uh, managers, drivers, first responders, trucks, you name it. It really is incredible. And, and, and just to wrap my head around some of this, uh, you mentioned an important point about the sensor needing to be off off property, essentially. Um, and explain, I, I have my guess as to why that is, but I want you to explain a little bit further. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the, the history there is, is you know, mostly between railroads, which are privately uh, operated, the freight railroads. That's usually what the context I'm talking about. So a private freight operator and a public government agency. And, you know, I, I really I, I don't want to say anything ill about railroads. You know, we have good relationships with the, the railroads. They're incredibly uh, important to our economy, to our society. Uh, they do a lot of good. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the, the ability for them to share their data, it's just not meant to be uh, shared with government agencies. And, and, and there's a lot of difficulty in bridging that gap. And so that was some, uh, obviously a gap that we saw. And so we came in and said, listen, instead of trying to uh, try to, you know, cover this, this gap that we've been trying to fill for years now and, and just can't find common ground, we'll come in and fill it. We'll try to be sensitive to the, the issues that the railroads have about sharing train data, and we want to be responsive to the needs of government agencies. And, you know, we've been able to do that. We filled that slot. We've developed really strong relationships with railroads to try to make them comfortable with us and what we're doing. And we've developed these relationships with government agencies to give them the information that they need and kind of sit there in the middle, but still be off uh, rail property. So give us a little sense of what this actually looks like, where it gets installed, how many of them you need, and in, in either in a single community or globally, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. So first, you know, kind of what this would look like. So we, you know, our train sensor, uh, you know, what, what the, the visual that resonates for most people is it's kind of like a shoebox on a pole. It's kind of what it looks like. Uh, and so our train sensor is that box. Uh, it gets installed within 100 feet uh, of a rail crossing. Um, and you, you switch it on and it starts collecting data and it has a, a cellular connection that communicates to our cloud servers. Uh, so that's what it looks like physically. And then, you know, in our cloud, we have all the software that goes on. Uh, then we, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we uh, have uh, application programming interfaces or communication between our cloud and a sign and, and uh, you know, all the different uses. Um, and so that's really what it looks like um, if you were to observe the system from the outside. Um, in terms of how many of these sensors and, and the network that's needed, it's really community dependent. Um, how many rail crossings do you have? How complex is the road network? How complex is the rail network? Uh, what type of rail activity do you have? Um, you know, sometimes it's just a train that goes straight through. Sometimes you have a rail yard where you got trains that are going back and forth. And I think a lot of people have seen that, right? It, the train's moving slowly, it stops, and then it backs up, right? Uh, and so it depends on, on things like that. But generally what we're seeing is uh, a city, um, you know, will need, uh, you know, to, to, to get information for between five and 25 crossings. Um, and we haven't always seen a, a correlation with city size and the number of crossings. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a really small community that just has 20 crossings. And sometimes it's a really large city that has, has been able to have a lot of uh, underpasses and they might only have a handful. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, so that's that's a sense of scale. I think when we talk globally, uh, you know, we've done our assessment and uh, we can see, you know, close to 350,000 uh, rail crossings globally that would need this information uh, to support uh, the types of applications that we, we provide. 
And and the real customer, although not the end user, is the city itself. Is that is that a fair description? Today it is. Yeah, today yeah. it is. Um, and uh, so that would be who who would purchase our sensor. They would uh, purchase our software. Uh, they would integrate our information into their existing systems. Um, you know, obviously cities have uh, all sorts of traffic management software and, and services like that. We we integrate and kind of fit into into there. Uh, but you're right. That's who uh, purchases it today. And and you had made mention of um, you know things like Wise or Google or whatever that you know we all use now to to get from point A to point B. Um, are there existing integrations there as well? Yes. So uh, we're you know from a technical perspective, yes. Um, so we've been working with Waze and Google and, and uh, you know, others like that uh, for a number of years to make sure that the, 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 the technological side is covered. What they really need is they, they need much more scale, right? And, and, you know, we're a startup company. We're just getting, uh, you know, our, our sensors deployed. They said, this is great information. We'd love to put it into our, into our apps, uh, but we want to be able to provide this to, you know, the, the big cities and, and you know, a, a broader footprint. And so they said, yeah, you know what, we can do this, but uh, let's keep talking. Uh, once you have that critical mass, uh, let's turn the switch and, and let's get going. That's great. Really exciting. So that leads me to my, my final question is, you know, envisioning a world where those 350,000 rail crossings have your senses collecting that valuable data. What does that mean? What does it mean for you know the average person? What does it mean for that community? What does it mean for for all of us? Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know looking out in the future and kind of looking at an arc uh, and different time frames in the future. I think you know in, in more the the shorter term, the next three to ten years, uh, this looks like safer rail crossings. This looks like more intelligent routing. This looks like time savings for uh, drivers and for you know people who. Uh, you know, they got a, an important meeting to get to, and it's that rail crossing that, you know, they, they only get stopped, you know, maybe once a month, but this was the time, right? An important time, or, you know, as parents, you know, wanting to get to their, pick up their kids or go to, the, you know, their, their activities. There's all sorts of um, things where, uh, you know, 10 to 20 minutes of travel time delay can really um, have a big impact, you know, not to mention all the first responder issues. Um, you know, I think when we start uh, peering even more into the future and thinking about connected and automated vehicles, um, this becomes a, a very critical piece of it. Like I mentioned, um, one in two vehicle trips today cross railway tracks. Um, when these vehicles become automated, that stat will probably still hold. Uh, and how can these vehicles interact with rail crossings? Certainly they have all sorts of uh, um, sensors and that type of thing, uh, but you know, we're looking at those sensors and they're getting better every day, but are they going to be? Are they going to provide the the, the needed uh, information? So even if they're 99.9% um, sufficient, that 0.1% adds up to a, a big impact if it's not covered. And that's where information like ours can come to fill in. And I think when we we really um, think broader um, in this context, we see uh, already um, the development of digital twinning of mm. of of our world, really, but of smart cities where. Everything that's physical in a city has a digital replica, and that's just starting to be built now. And it's a very historical, static type of database that's being built. Uh, rail crossings are not part of that currently right now. Um, we see that digital twin becoming more real time, and sure. then we see that digital twin becoming more predictive. And uh, you know, all along the way, we see rail crossings being a blind spot in that ev evolution and something that we can fill.
to be to create a rail crossing digital twin uh, that will be able to predict not just trains but predict assets, uh, infrastructure maintenance, uh, to predict uh, you know all sorts of activity that goes on at rail crossings um, for all sorts of different uh, users who who cross railways and uh, are impacted by trains. Well, Gareth, thank you so much for joining us today on Preview of Tomorrow. I mean, and thank you for the work you're doing. Clearly, you're passionate about it, and I'm glad somebody is because it's a real issue that needs to be addressed. And like we've said, it, it's something I think all of us overlook until we're stuck at an intersection <laughs> um, or at a crossing. So thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us. For anybody who does want to learn more about Trainfo, um, what's the best way for them to do that or, or to get in contact? Yeah, the best way is to go to our website, uh, www.trainfo.ca. Uh, and you can go to the contact page, uh, submit uh, your name, and we'd love to, to get in contact with you and discuss further. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Preview of Tomorrow. We look forward to watching you uh, continue to grow. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was a pleasure. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. Listeners like you are essential to advancing our efforts to drive resiliency and sustainability for all. I ask that you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever streaming platform you prefer. Your feedback helps us to grow and share these brief previews of what life in the future can be. In addition to thanking our guests today, I want to thank Peter Roy and Demetria Bridges for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and encourage others to also join us each week in previewing the possibilities of tomorrow. Preview of Tomorrow is brought to you by Leading Cities, a global nonprofit driving resilience and sustainability for all by unleashing the potential of the world's cities. Join them at leadingcities.org.